Welcome to Subtle Beast, everybody. I am your host, Volts. With me, as always, my partner in crime and brother from another mother, Mr. Steve Apostolopoulos. How are you? I'm doing good tonight, Volts. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm excited about getting into this uh, show tonight. Um, ever since uh, coming across this topic, it's been a, a really in- intriguing one for for us, I have to say. But um, going into this topic tonight, uh, where we're going to be, what we're going to be discussing the uh, the birds aren't real movement. Um, Steve, have you ever considered the fact that birds aren't real? Every day. Yeah, I thought so. I mean, yep. did you do you catch yourself maybe sitting at a at a red light and looking up and seeing the birds on on a wire and just thinking, there they are recharging because that's how they're not on batteries, so they got to sit on the wire and recharge themselves. Right, they're they're uh, they got into the red zone of their battery, flew down, landed on the wire, recharging, and then boom, right back at it. That's right. And uh, but what we're going to talk about tonight um, is there is whether you're aware of it or not, there is a movement out there, and uh, they're just simply called birds aren't real. They have a website. Um, they have about over nearly 80,000 members following them on social media. Um, Now, you may think that that sounds kind of crazy, but uh, we're going to break down. Now, all this information that we're going to be covering tonight comes directly from the movement themselves. So this is all their own words. Uh, They've written books. They've written essays. Um, So we've compiled some of that, and uh, we'll we'll break it down for you. And... uh, uh, we'll, we'll split it into like maybe like a uh, like a who, what, where, why situation, and uh, and we'll get to the bottom of why there's a movement on birds not being real. Then you can judge for yourself. <clears throat> yeah, exactly. I mean, that's what Subtle Beast is always about, anyway. Delivering the information. If it's something that has to deal with the unknown or questionable in some way, we'll cover it <clears throat> in full, and we'll give you both sides, and you know, you can take it from there. But without further ado, let's dive right in with both feet and find out why there's a movement about birds not being real. In 1947, pardon me, the CIA was founded. Its sole responsibility was to watch and survey tens of thousands of Americans suspected of doing communist things. This orchestrated stalking epidemic went on for almost five years, and few were found guilty of any real crimes. However, it became clear in the early 50s that a threat of communism was only going to rise and a border system was needed to track any individual who was suspected of such activity. The fears were only encouraged when in 1951, Julius and Ethel Rosenberg were arrested and convicted of espionage against the United States, accused of spying on behalf of the Soviet Union. This highly publicized event gave the government a small window to implement a new program that would place the first CCTV, pardon me, CCTV surveillance cameras in areas with high Russian immigrant, immigrant concentration. Wow. So that's just <clears throat> all started back in the 40s. Yeah. 
which I, which one thing I find interesting, just one second, I need to take a, a quick sip of a drink. One thing that I find interesting with doing this or with going over these dates is the, is 1947, which we all know is famous for Roswell. So in the following years in the fifties, our uh, technology was rapidly growing because of the information that was within the saucers that they got the extraterrestrial information out of the saucers. I mean, the, that was the birth of um, fiber optics. So keep that in mind when we're going over this story and uh, showing the birds, people's <laughs> view. So this went on for a few years. In 1953, Alan Dulles was made the first civilian director of the CIA and made it his mission to ramp up the surveillance program, hiding cameras in thousands of locations and ordering his staff to plant them in areas that would be impossible to detect. He knew that the possibilities for this camera program were endless, and on April 15, 1956, he met with President Dwight D. Eisenhower and proposed a plan that would put cameras in the sky. Now, Dulles knew that the sky was the future for the surveillance program, as you could truly track someone with a moving camera, much easier than having to switch between cameras on street corners and hidden in storm drains. One camera in the sky could do the work of hundreds on the ground. Now, Eisenhower approved the initial idea and asked him, asked him to return when he had figured out how to make it possible. So Dulles left the Oval Office and immediately flew to an undisclosed location, most likely Area 51, meeting with various members of his inner circle to discuss the plan in more intricate detail. It is believed that the initial plan for killing all of the birds and replacing them with flying cameras was thought up one weekend in May of 1956. Dulles and his team hated birds with a passion and were heard on many occasions calling them flying slugs and the scum of the skies as they would often poop on their cars in the parking lot of the CIA headquarters and quite frankly, all over the DC metro area. I believe this was one of the driving forces that led Dulles to not only implement robots into the sky, but actually replace birds in the process. They did not need to kill all the birds and could have launched a quarter of the robot birds that they did. But the pigeons in DC at the time were absolutely ruthless. They were eating very well. As American morale was high, people were feeding them much more in public parks and on the street. This turned to created huge amounts of pigeon feces that would inevitably find its way to the windshield of many men and women, all whom grew to not only hate pigeons, but all birds. In a stolen transcript from an ex-CIA deputy, she says, Yeah, the higher-ups were so annoyed that the birds had been dropping fecal matter on their car windows that they vowed to wipe out every single flying feathered creature in North America. It's getting serious. Now, in this meeting, they thought to kill two birds with one stone and remove all birds from the United States, thus eliminating their fecal problem but also replacing these, bir these birds with billions of sophisticated robot lookalikes capable of mimicking real birds in every way. Now, Dulles and his team wanted to create the greatest surveillance system ever imagined with the capability of tracking someone on foot, in a vehicle, or even in their personal home. Wow. In their home? Yeah. I mean, well, think about it. If he replaced birds... 
with these you know cameras and surveillance a, a pigeon or a, a a robin redbreast if you will sitting on your windowsill looking in recording you and your family you know and do or doing a flyby yeah i mean he definitely was on the right area of that the skies were the way of surveillance i mean with today we have you know sophisticated military drones that can you know zero in a dime from high altitudes google earth google i mean so i mean their idea not too far-fetched but steve why don't we go in, into a little bit with the how all right it is imperative that we discuss the methods that the government used to extinguish over 12 billion birds between 1959 and 1971. If we are able to make disciples of the birds aren't real movement, we must equip each and every person with the knowledge of what truly happened in this saga of insanity and government corruption. Here are the facts and eyewitness accounts of various key events that occurred within our nation that completely destroyed every man, woman, and child bird in existence. Whoa. I touched on him for a brief moment in the last part, but I want to dive into Alan Welsh Dulles, the director of the Central Intelligence Agency from 1953 to 1961. Upon the government writing the plan to slowly kill off the birds it was his responsibility to make it a reality he was given the task of reallocating 65 billion dollars of public health funds towards the forced extinction on may 6th of 1957 he met with an unidentified man from the boeing airplane company and ordered a 120 b-52 bombers Dulles knew that if his government was to go undetected, he had to keep these aircraft out of sight from the American public. He was under strict orders not to leave a trace of his actions. So, he devised a plan to construct the aircraft in Nevada's Area 51. Folks, you were right. There we are. This way, the citizens of Seattle, Washington, where Boeing was headquartered, wouldn't be able to claim that the bombers had been built nearby if the government was exposed. 23 men from within Boeing, the engineering department, traveled to Area 51 in the back of an old school bus they had purchased from a salvage yard in Washington State. They were seen by a few individuals bringing couches and rugs into the bus and were also heard discussing, and I quote, really cool playlists for the road trip so these guys are about to ready to get in they thought they were in for the time of their lives let's get this old bus it's, it sounds like a college like a college story yeah or a grateful dead concert that they think yeah. they're, they're about to head off to uh, it's I'm, let's let's keep going you want me to pick up a little bit here yeah now clearly the Boeing engineers didn't get the memo from Dulles about remaining undetected and actually painted Area 51 or bust on both sides of the bus. Now, whenever they would stop for gas, they would set up a makeshift campsite in the parking lot and sing songs with titles such as, I left my honey for Area 51 and the all famous, <laughs> <laughs> let's kill all the birds. <laughs> they attracted a lot of attention and the locals of the town in Idaho claimed that the men would reveal intimate details of what they were doing. 
Clearly, they were complete idiots. But their idiocy is one of the hardest pieces of evidence on how the government killed the birds. While 22 of the men made it to Nevada, one man did not. Neil Ford was the only engineer that lived to tell the story. And he was left in a Waffle House bathroom because the others claim he had to pee too many times and was ru- and ruining the vibe <laughs> and was ruining the vibe of the trip. Neil sounds like a like a real killjoy. Neil Ford. Yeah. <laughs> now Neil spoke with one of the founding members of the Birds Aren't Real movement shortly before his death in 1994. He spoke about the way in which Dulles searched for engineers who didn't have families. That way, they would be able to disappear from the map when the project was complete and nobody would notice. This disturbing reality is a far cry from the way in which many people view the 1950s and proves that our government has been ruthless in its efforts to rid our nation of its peace and prosperity. So, upon making it to Area 51, the 22 remaining engineers were tasked with designing a new version of the B-52. The B-52B. Now, the B stands for bird, and it was to be a brand new model of the B-52 that had 450-gallon water tanks in the place of bomb compartments. Now, the water tanks were hard to design, and one of the engineers almost gave up. But Dulles hit him over the head with a 40-pound wrench to try and knock some sense into him. This unintelligently put the man into a coma, to which he never awoke. Scared out of the minds, the remaining 21 engineers vowed to finish designing the airplane so they could leave Area 51 for good. This was to be a faulty dream, however, as none of the men were ever seen again. We only know this information because 12 pallets of classified documents were stolen from a warehouse by one of our birds aren't real patriots. But we'll get to that later. Well, it's getting it's getting good. It is. It's Steve, you want to go? I do. Once the water tanks were fitted into each bomber, a complex system of radar and tracking technology was installed to the nose of the aircraft. This technology was extremely advanced for its time and was used by the crew to track large flocks of birds from distances of 200 miles away. Once the radar was fitted, five coats of jet black matte paint was sprayed on every surface of the plane. This was done to camouflage the aircraft against the night sky so that it could go undetected from the ground. Not only was paint used to hide the bombers, but each external strobe, beacon, and landing light was removed. Not a single light emitted from the plane, and the Pratt & Whitney JT-3D engines were fitted with noise reduction pads that enabled the aircraft to fly completely silent from altitudes over 3,000 feet. That sounds beast mode. Yeah, it does. I mean, those are big B-52s, too. Yeah, and it's interesting that they choose 3,000 feet. Oh, it says 3,000 feet or higher, but 3,000 feet is like right where you need to be to stay under the radar, I believe. Oh. Interesting, so. I did not know that. It took two years to build the 120 bombers, and once they were finished, the Boeing engineers were told that they were free to go home. However, they were intercepted 30 minutes into their trip back to Washington and were put in the back of an armored troop transport vehicle. The men were sent to the front line in Vietnam, which Dulles hoped would seal their fate. 
Each of the engineers actually survived for three weeks in intense combat and were kidnapped by the Viet Cong only after they ran out of ammunition. The men were never heard from again. It's interesting that if they were never heard from again, I wonder how they knew that that they got captured because they ran out of ammunition. That's weird. Yeah. That's the Twilight Zone. Now, you may be wondering, how were the birds actually killed? What method was used to accomplish this act of mass murder? And that's a good question. The water tanks in the bombers were filled with specially formulated bird poison that once consumed would give the bird a virus that could be passed on to other birds. The poison was sprayed from an altitude of 8,000 feet and would completely dissolve before it hit the ground, which meant that only birds would be affected by its terror. And once a single drop of the poison struck the bird's feathers, the virus would take hold through the fibers and make its way into the bloodstream. The virus would then affect the bone structure in such a way that totally decomposed the birds, and this would take place within 24 hours. So they weren't just setting out to kill the birds. They were setting out to just completely annihilate them and basically in like the worst way they could possibly die. It's like getting eaten away by like, acid yeah i like how they say that it wouldn't affect humans that this poison that's raining down <laughs> the i mean uh they they were mentioning in their article about uh vietnam um, those guys in vietnam i'm sure heard the don't worry agent orange is safe too i'm sure they heard that yeah but i mean when you have a government that's planning on taking out all the birds i mean that's just sounds <laughs> ruthless so y- you don't know you just don't know. Now, continuing on, June 2nd, 1959, Operation Water the Country was born. This was to be the secret code name given to the program from 1959 to 1976, when it was renamed to Operation Very Large Bird. The individual in charge of naming the program didn't want to get in trouble with any copyright of PBS show Sesame Street by naming the project Operation Big Bird. Within the next six years, 15% of the bird population was wiped out. Now, during these first few years, bird prototypes were released by the hundreds of millions. The term drone was not used at the time, and instead, they were referred to as robot birds. Now, let it be known, the CIA were originally the only ones responsible for this atrocity, and the sitting president, JFK, had no idea that this was taking place. The CIA did not intend for anyone but select departments to find out what was going on. Even the pilots of the bombers were unaware of what they were doing. The chief commanding officer of Water the Country told them that they were watering the grass of the entire country. To this day, it's highly unlikely that the pilots know that they assisted in the largest mass murder in world history. And if any of the original bomber pilots of Operation Water the Country are reading this or hearing this, uh, hear me closely. We do not blame you for the sins of your superiors. While you did kill billions of helpless birds, you did not know what you were doing. You do not have to remain in hiding. (laughs) Join the movement and together we can fight the government. (laughs) They're recruiting hardcore. Water in the grass of the entire country, folks. Yeah. I mean, I'd be like, come on. Operation Big Bird. Yeah. Now, like we discussed a little bit ago, uh, the president was unaware what was going on until October 3rd of 1963, 
when a top CIA official was overheard speaking about the operation over a taped phone. Now, JFK was president at the time and had tapped the phone of Albert or Alvin B. Cleaver, the internal communications director for the CIA. Now, Kennedy believed that Cleaver was stealing his ham sandwich from, <laughs> from the White House kitchen and vowed to catch him speaking about it on the phone. Instead, he heard a highly sensitive conversation that Cleaver was having with Dulles. In it, Cleaver said, yeah, Alan, I, I stole John's lunch again. He doesn't even know. And I'm going to keep stealing it until he launches a full investigation. Then I'm going to plan a hidden camera and catch his reaction as I dump all the stolen sandwiches on his desk at one time. I'm going to call the new show, You've Been Cleavered. Dulles responded, Ha ha, Alvin, that's going to be so funny. We'll have to play that clip at the White House Correspondents' Dinner. By the way, how's the bird slaughter going? (laughs) How many birds have we killed so far? Well... We've killed about 220 million so far, and the best thing is the robot birds were released in their place and have done such a good job that nobody even suspects a thing. Uh, it kind of spells it out for you. It does. Now, when Kennedy heard this conversation over the tap phone, not only was he upset about his ham sandwich and immediately called both into the Oval Office, he demanded to know what they were discussing. They confessed what was taking place in the American sky late at night, and he was appalled. He told them to stop the operation once, at once, or he would fire them. They both explained to Kennedy why the birds needed to be exterminated and asked them if they could show Kennedy a prototype of one of their birds before he made any decision on whether to end Operation Water the Country. October 25th, 1963, Kennedy was shown a prototype of the Turkey X-500, a robot that specialized in killing larger birds like eagles and falcons. The robot displayed its surveillance skills as well as its ability to find and track escaped animals. Kennedy was impressed with what he was shown, but continued to demand the immediate shutdown of the operation. And less than a month later, he was dead. Now, I'm not saying that these events are correlated, but I am. JFK was murdered by the CIA because he was against the mass murder of every feathered flying creature in the United States. He was to be the first and only president to stand against the murder of the birds. From Lyndon Johnson to Donald Trump, every president we've had since has turned a blind eye to the atrocities that began in 1959. After Kennedy was killed, the CIA started rigging elections. They would allow candidates who were anti-bird and pro-citizen surveillance to win the presidency. You know, folks, in our Kennedy, our JFK episode... We forgot to mention that. We, we forgot to mention this part. Well, we, we were saving it because we knew that this show oh, yeah. was coming up. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh, well, if we do another show on JFK, we'll be too... I mean... Can you believe, I mean, who in this day and age were anti-bird? I can't imagine any candidate running on that platform. No. Now, by now, you must be shaking with fear. The thought of your government doing these things is too much for you to handle. Can it really be true? Could the government have killed billions of birds and replaced them with robots? Yes, they did. But don't feel alone. At any point during this you are free to email the counseling department of birdsarereal.com. 
that email address is support at birdsarereal.com. And they'll talk to you and they'll walk you through the steps to mentally overcome this nightmare. Now, one of the authors had said that he personally had to deal with this reality on his own decades ago. Now I'm giving you a service that I wish had been available to me at the time of my discovery. If you're currently experiencing episodes of excessive perspiration and muscle spasms because of what you have just heard, then don't listen to the next section. So buckle up. The nightmare is just beginning. Well, well, Steve, you're not experiencing any muscle spasms. or. Well, I mean, I'm just at, I'm on the edge of my seat. I know. It's... Uh, we're getting to the, the nitty gritty. So the meat and potatoes. Take us take us in. On July second, nineteen sixty four, there was a secret meeting held in the Jefferson Building in Washington D.C. The attendees are unknown, as the only evidence is a six minute recording that was uncovered in the basement of an isolated storage warehouse by one of our patriots. In this meeting, it is believed that members of the CIA and Operation Water the Country discussed the need for a heavy amount of bauxite, an amorphous clay rock that is the chief commercial ore of aluminum. The bauxite was essential in the process of robot construction, as aluminum would make up roughly every facet of its frame and internal structure. In the audio recording, from the meeting, you can clearly hear one of the attendees say, we need a quick solution to this problem. The production team needs this material right now. Real birds have been disappearing for almost two years now, and if we don't start replacing them in mass quantities, people will notice. We need a solution in the next 30 days. Wow. Well, yeah, because if, uh, if they don't start replacing them, if you live in a place up north here or even it even down south because of the way that the birds migrate it was a uh, it was funny when i when we lived in first moved to to myrtle beach um saw it was during the winter time and we saw a lot of birds that typically we wouldn't see because we lived in pennsylvania and i said to my wife i was like i always thought the birds flew south for the winter she was like they did they're here <laughs> so i mean that's why and people people are, would definitely be aware of that because if i was like hey why are these birds and or like why are there no birds so yeah well i guess we need to buckle up for the next part now i don't mean an america's car mart used 1998 honda civic seatbelt. i mean a fighter jet ejection ejection seat harness now almost a month after the secret meeting North Vietnamese torpedo boat was accused of attacking U.S. destroyer in the Gulf of Tonkin. It is widely believed that this incident was faked, and I concur. This incident was an excuse for the United States to place a huge number of troops in Vietnam and engage with the North Vietnamese on a much more escalated platform. We, Subtle Beast, did a full podcast on that, covering it in its entirety. Definitely check it out if you are unfamiliar with, uh, with that ruse. Now, the question is, why would the U.S. want to fake such an incident? What would they have to gain from invading Vietnam? Now, surely, nobody still believes the to stop communism lie that was so fervently spread. Well, you're in luck, because for the first time in history, you'll finally know the truth. You'll finally know why the United States of America decided to waltz into a small country on the tip of East Asia. What, what is it? Well... 
The nation of Vietnam contains the third largest reserves of bauxite ore on the entire planet. Like was said earlier, this ore was the primary component of aluminum, which would be used to create the robots. Now, the U.S. used the already brewing conflict in Vietnam to in Vietnam to their advantage, and from 1964 to 1975, the U.S. attempted to invade and extract as much of this ore as possible, because without it, there would be no robot birds, you see. Oh. So, yeah, so that's why, I mean, it's getting complex. Now, the process looked like this. U.S. soldiers were told in advance to advance into an area of North Vietnam where they could fight communism the best, quote-unquote. Now, that's what they were told. They were actually capturing areas that had enormous quantities of bauxite ore. Now, once the perimeter was set up, dozens of excavators were deployed to dig into the deposit and dump the bauxite into dump trucks that would then travel a distance of 26 hours through enemy territory to Kamran Base, U.S. military port located in the Khan Hoa province of South Vietnam. The bauxite ore was then loaded onto a cargo ship that would, that would deliver the ore to an unidentified port on the east coast of the United States. From there, the ore would be transported to hundreds of facilities that constructed the robot birds. You, you following me? I'm with you so far. Okay. Now, these facilities are believed to be located within many of the government fallout shelters and ammunition bunkers. Now, one of the more modern factories is located underneath the Denver International Airport. Folks, you sent me pictures from there. Yeah, I've been there a few times. And uh, if you've been to the Denver International Airport, you know what I'm talking about. It looks like Illuminati Cabal Central in there. I mean, it <laughs> is. Uh, it is a ancient astronaut theorist dream up in that place now let's see you see you see the government escalated the fears of nuclear war during this time period the 60s through the 80s as an excuse to build a massive underground warehouse under the disguise of being bomb shelters now these facilities were so massive that hundreds of workers could fit inside and construct up to 5,000 robot birds per day now, they are believed to be 22 of these underground manufacturing plants. And during the peak of the construction process, sometime around 1980, upwards of 100,000 robots were being constructed each day across all 22 bunkers. 100,000 robot birds is a huge number. Yeah. I mean, it's got to be with the numbers that, that were killed. Uh, they're blanketing the sky with these things. Yeah. Now, each of these fake fallout shelters road bird or robot bird construction facilities would construct a different type of bird specific to that region of course now for example in colorado there's a bunker near colorado springs that specifically builds hummingbirds as they used to be the primary backyard bird in the state here's a fun fact hummingbirds are the ideal candidate for surveillance in a tight space as they are small yet versatile that was a fun fact thank you now you may be wondering, how did the government get thousands of people to build the birds? And where are they now? And why aren't they testifying in courts to the atrocities that were forced, they were forced to commit? Do they not remember building all these robot birds? My friend, that question has been debated for decades by many with the birds aren't real community. To sum it up, we think that they were tripping on hallucinogenics. <laughs> <laughs> Now, the government would send individuals to a local nightclub and bars. Now, 
This is where it gets really interesting. Who would then scope out a candidate who looked like they could assemble a robot bird? I wonder what that look is like. Yeah, I mean, if you were in a nightclub and you were looking around, that sounds like a, that sounds like the statement of somebody that just ate hallucinogenic. <laughs> Let's go in here and see if we can locate anyone that looks like you could build a robot bird. Yeah, craziness. But this is just where it begins. It was the '60s and '70s where acid was more accepted than bottled water. These people were then given work overalls, their costume, and a small tab of acid, which was actually just a piece of colored paper. The acid trip they expected was actually the bus ride to the entrance of the bunker, where they were given a toolbox and a pair of headphones that played Pink Floyd nonstop. Now, this combination of assembling a robot bird inside a five-story government fallout bunker led to them to believe they were on the most insane trip of their life. Now, many of these individuals would later be heard saying, the craziest trip I ever had was back in 76 when I met this guy who gave me this crazy tab. From then, all I remember is riding through the desert for 45 minutes on top of a sawed-off school bus, then walking down a staircase into a huge warehouse that was underground and having some guy tell me to follow some instructions, make some sort of flying robot bird. Well, there you have it. The reason why so many contributed to the construction and why none of them remember. Now, the movement begins. Steve. Was that your 1960s tripping voice? No, no, not at all. That was my, <laughs> that was my 1976. Okay, okay. Craziest trip voice. <clears throat> oh, my goodness. Well, one of the main questions we have received lately goes as follows. Hello. When did the movement begin? Well, Patriot, this is the part that we will address that very question. It all started in 1975, a time when the Vietnam War was ending and thousands of U.S. troops were returning home. Operation Water the Country was handed over to William Colby, the new head of the CIA, under President Gerald Ford. Colby renamed Operation Water in the Water the Country to Operation Very Large Bird and enacted an internal rule that anyone who had worked on the original Operation Water the Country was to be released of their duties and removed from their position. It had been over 10 years since the operation had begun and they had only managed to replace 26% of the bird population with robots. This was 35% under target, and Colby wanted to hire the men and women who would get the job done faster. This proved to be a huge mistake. Oh, well, maybe if, they, if the people weren't on acid. <laughs> kidnapped. Maybe, yeah, kidnapped and placed on acid. Maybe they could make their quota. I mean, I can understand 35% under target. I mean, pop, give somebody a hallucinogenic and just send them to their daily job. <laughs> the, the production is going down big time. There's going to be a lot of time spent in the bathroom, maybe down the cafeteria, probably in your staring, car driving away. Staring at the mirror. Yeah. Now, one of the men that Colby fired, he turned out to be the first whistleblower. Now, he risked his life to share the information that you've been hearing tonight. His brave action started this entire movement. It was a dark and cold rainy night in November 1975. The man, who shall remain nameless because we don't know his name, showed up on the doorstep of Clark Griffin, a young teenager from San Francisco. Clark had been an outspoken activist during the tail end of the Vietnam War, and now that the war had ended, 
all of the bauxite was extracted, we now know this, the master knew that Clark would need another cause to campaign. As the soft raindrops pattered on the sidewalk below, the man, who shall be referred to as the master, knocked on the door of Mr. Griffin's apartment. You see, the master knew that Colby most likely had people hired to follow him, as he knew information that could take down this country. So he couldn't be seen meeting with any members of the newspaper or television. The master knew that he had to share what he knew with someone young, someone bright. Who could be the face of the resistance? He knew that if he, had, if he tried to start the movement himself, he would never be seen again. Now Clark, he was an outspoken activist against the Vietnam War. And now that the war had ended, the master wanted to give him something new, a new campaign. The government atrocities of the 60s and 70s surrounding the Byrd genocide. The master relayed everything he knew to Clark and secretly helped launch the first Birds Aren't Real movement. Griffin was absolutely shocked to learn what the master knew, but he wasn't surprised. Now, he was used to fighting the all-powerful United States government, and he wanted to share his newfound knowledge as fast as he could. He quickly formed a team from the original members of his pro-peace-slash-anti-war campaign and tasked them with traveling to various colleges' ca campuses across the United States and standing on street corners and in amphitheaters and in these said campuses preaching the feathered gospel and awakening many students quickly, forming huge activist base. This quickly became known as the Tour of Freedom by Clark and his team as they would travel from university to university in the span of a few months at a time, teaching and informing anyone who dared listen to them. When they weren't touring, they were researching and calling politicians, trying to find at least one individual who would grant them an interview. But of course, this never happened. Stevie? It only took a few months for the team to realize that their supporters had grown so large that they needed to hold a public rally to show the government just who they were dealing with and that and what they were up against. They needed to show the government that they weren't about to go down without a fight. So Clark and his team organized a rally in the nation's capital, Washington, D.C. This rally was attended by upwards of 2,000 people, mainly supporters from various college campuses who had driven through the night just to protest and show their support. True patriots a phrase we do not take lightly. During the rally, the Secret Service was ordered to confiscate any film being taken of the event to prevent it from being aired on television. This is a shame as we do not know or have any images of this historic event, but only have the words of those who attended. These rallies would be held every year following 1976 until 1993 when the government officially put an end to the first Birds Aren't Real movement. Wow. They're, they're taking it really seriously. You want to keep going? Clark and his team continued to campaign and build support, calling politicians to no avail and traveling to public forums to voice their truth. They reached a tipping point in 1987 when they attempted to release an advertisement on national television during Super Bowl XXI. However, the government stepped in and confiscated the original film, banning the ad under fears that it compromised national security. Quickly after the event, the offices of the Birds Aren't Real movement were raided by the FBI, and many of the important documents given to Clark by the master 
were confiscated and placed in a top-secret location. The team did not let this affect them. They continued to try as hard as they could to spread awareness and bring this heinous crimes to light, holding rallies until 1991, when Clark Griffin disappeared during the 91 rally in San Francisco, last seen holding a sign and marching up Market Street. Wow. So either he was taken out or he just slipped away. Well, nobody's seen or heard of him since that day, a day many of them in the movement call Blue Monday. It's May 6th. Sadly, we do not have much more information of what happened between 1991 and 2017, a massive amount of time that we could have accomplished so much for the movement, but we cannot let let that get us down. We must push full steam ahead and regain all that lost ground in an effort to take back America from those that seek to destroy it. Incredible. Now, if you've made it this far, we thank you. And we thank you for your dedication to learn the truth. Now, and, and seek justice for the innocent birds that are taken from us. I have one more subject to discuss and a parting gift, if you will. The current state of the movement. As of this writing, it's August 2019. Donald Trump has used sophisticated tactics to keep our movement suppressed. He knows that he can't regulate the internet as well as he would like to. Google, Facebook, Instagram are independent plat- platforms being used by the government to track and compile data from the billions of drone birds cruising the sky all across America. Instagram has begun the process of censoring our message as they remove post after post. Other movements have sprung up all across the world, as millions of people fear that their government is also not to be trusted. While there is zero evidence to suggest that countries in Europe have enacted this process of removing birds in replace of robots, the fear is still alive and well, for good reason. A common question that we get a lot is, well, how do birds not fly out of the United States to Mexico and Canada? Great question. While the majority of the birds are programmed to not cross over into these countries, there are some that still venture into these countries for a few reasons, like picking up drugs, like cocaine and marijuana, for eventually delivering them into lower class segments of our major cities. The government will do anything they can to maintain control over its citizens, even getting them hooked on drugs. Now, another reason is simple keeping tabs on U.S. citizens who go on vacation. Any bird you see flying across the U.S. borders to either Mexico or Canada is simply tracking an American citizen who has traveled outside the United States. Now, however, there is currently nothing keeping a bird from Canada or Mexico from traveling inside America, which is why there will never be a 100% robot population. It will most likely hover around 95% as the birds are always flying in from our neighboring countries. This may change soon, however, because in 2016, President Trump announced that if he was elected, he would build a wall between Mexico and the United States. You may believe the mainstream media and Trump's lies when you hear that the wall will be designed to keep illegal immigrants out of the United States, but that is false. The wall will actually be encapsulated with thousands of microwave guns that can track any bird entering the United States and shoot it with harsh microwaves, which will destroy the bird's ability to fly and will leave it deceased in under a few hours. Now, I hope this does not, does not shock you too much. After all, if you've made it this far, you're on the road to, uh, 
joining the country that has been totally reframed as the birds aren't real movement. Wow. To, to begin in 47 with the CIA, go through the Vietnam War. Yeah. I mean, 220 million birds killed, replaced with spying robots. I mean, unbelievable. Back in the mid-70s, the, the people that built those robots... I mean, I, I just, I never knew there was such hatred for the birds. Nor did I. I mean, they're lucky that the birds aren't the size that they, they used to be back in prehistoric times. And it, there'd be no spraying them. The pterodactyls would take them right out. And Trump is in on it. That's what they're saying. That, I mean, that is surprising. I mean, he seems like, like he would just be a lover of birds. It seems that way. Well, I guess you never know behind... You know, closed doors, who really is a, a friend of the fine feathered friend and <laughs> who's uh, out there trying to spray him with aluminum at 3,000 to 8,000 feet to wipe him out so that we can create robots uh, that were created by men on LSD so that, that we can track every American going from in between America or <laughs> between Mexico and Canada. Even on vacation. Right. And the next time you're sitting at a stoplight and you happen to glance up and maybe see three or four crows five or six robin red breasts maybe even a little finch just know they're not just sitting there taking a rest they're in fact recharging their batteries and with that i'm Foltz, and i'm steve and we'll see you next time take care of one another bye-bye <laughs>